It takes more than switching your font to operator mono to be a great software engineer. This is episode 132 of the Soft Skills Engineering Podcast. I am your host, Jameson Dance. I am your host, Dave Smith. Fonts besides operator mono make your code run slower. That's what I learned from front-end developer Twitter. That sounds like some kind of disease. What is that? Operator mono. <laughs> it's a font that somebody made. Somebody just made a font and it's $200 and a lot of people bought it. I'm pretty sure they donated a big portion of the proceeds. So the person who made the font is like a plus solid individual. <laughs> and I still sometimes just change my font to courier to fight back against <laughs> this highfalutin fancy paid font. Mumbo jumbo. You should take courier, repackage it and put a, a hipster name on it and then sell it. It sounds illegal. <laughs> it's pro- Courier's probably in the public domain. Come on. This sounds sketchy. Sounds lucrative. Yeah. I'll take it under advisement. <laughs> Capitalism. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> we have some wonderful patrons that we would like to thank who are supporting the show. Thank you so much to Matthew Wodewicks, Agile Ventures Charity, Zach Grannon, Michael Green, David Jackson, Nick Cantor, Sean Clayton. Yeah, thank you so much to those people. You are great. You help keep the show going. You help us pay for hosting and design and bandwidth and... Um, font development capital. Font, yeah, <laughs> and the fancy fonts that we use. <laughs> thank you. If you would like to donate, if you would like to support the show, you can go to our website, softskills.audio, and click the support us on Patreon button. Thank you so much to all those who do that again. Yes, thanks very much. Well, I guess we got nothing else to talk about. Should I read the first question? I We do, Dave. We have a great thing to talk oh, about. Oh, thank I'm you. I'm looking for... at a Trello card that is called Stinky Feet Comment, <laughs> which feels like it's important. Oh, yes. <laughs> thank you for reminding me. Let me read this. Shall I? For Please. A little background, though. Episode 131, which is the episode just before this one, was about uh, how to deal with the coworker with stinky feet. Well... Thank you, Soft Skills Engineering community. You have come to the rescue with yet another great idea. I'll read this one from Luis. Luis says, great podcast. I'm listening from episode one. Just a comment about episode 131 about the coworker with stinky feet. I had the same problem with someone smelling around me. Fortunately, we all noticed and it started to be a, quote, subject. So we just did a good old crowdfunding and we bought an automatic air freshener spray triggered by movement. Guess what? pointing to the individual. Eventually, he noticed that and asked to change to another office area. (laughs) There you go. Passive-aggressive automation. You could probably put anything in that dispenser. What if you filled it with, like, whipped cream or something? (laughs) Or cheese Whiz? Or I guess it doesn't have to necessarily only be food. (laughs) (laughs) It's the only thing you happen to be thinking about. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's lunchtime, so. Yeah, okay. That's sounds like like a hazing ritual, but if it solved your problem, more power to you. All right. Should I read the first question? Yeah, go for it. This is from an anonymous listener. Recently, I was approached by a manager and informed that I needed to decide if I wanted to stay at the company or not. I initially said I would like to stay and was told there was some negative feedback. I was told there was some negative feedback from coworkers I'd need to work on to do so. I agree that these were issues I need to work on to become better as an engineer, so I've engaged in something like a performance plan with my manager over the last few weeks. But I've decided I don't want to stay after all, and and I'm sending out applications. I don't want to burn bridges when I do end up putting in notice, but I would also like to continue working with my manager on these issues, and I'm worried that if I declare I am leaving, that will end. So my question is, should I tell my manager I've changed my mind or stay quiet? Hmm. So you're on a performance improvement plan. 
That's what I'm getting here, right? Yeah, and it's it's working possibly in two ways at once. <laughs> Your performance is improving, and you might not work there anymore. So both outcomes, <laughs> I mean, every pip ends in one of two ways, right? Yeah. And those are the two ways. Yeah. I, I think it's good that your manager sat you down and gave you clear feedback about things to improve. That sounds like a helpful thing. Yeah. And even better that you acknowledge that there are areas you can improve in. That's great. Yeah. I wonder, it, they mentioned, I've decided to leave. Is it just like, I wonder what the catalyst for that was. If they're willing to improve on it, maybe the fact that they got approached and told, hey, you have to decide if you want to work here or not, kind of hurt this sense of safety or... I have to assume there's some other factor that came into play here because it could just be like, ah, I want to move on. Yeah. I mean, it's all rolled up into one big, you know, complex ball of wax, but. Are you saying we can't summarize the motivations in like 30 <laughs> seconds from 100 words? <laughs> all right. All right. I'll give up. So I feel like if I was a manager and someone came to me and said, hey, I'm leaving I want to keep working on these issues. It depends on how much of my time it took to work on those issues. Because if it was part of our normal cadence of one-on-ones and, and just the way we normally worked together already, then that's not an added burden. It's just like, okay, we just keep going. You've given me more notice, so it's easier to start looking ahead for a replacement. That feels like a good thing. But if there's a lot of extra overhead of like, maybe I have to review your code more closely or there are extra meetings or um, there, there's just takes up a lot of space in my brain. I could see me being tempted to be like, you know, you're good. <laughs> don't worry about it. But I don't see it being, uh, I don't see myself being mad. Like you told me a month early, how dare you? So I don't know that it would burn any bridges for me. It would just be a decision. And and I I think I would, I assume I would make that together with the employee of like, okay, do we keep doing this process? Or if you're already going to leave, do we just kind of let, let inertia carry it forward? Yeah. And, and I want to know what, what were the possible choices when the manager said, do you want to stay here or not? Like if you had said no, what would the manager have done? It would have been like, well, there's the door. Yeah. You know, or... You know what? What are the options there? Because basically, you're you're changing your mind on that decision. And if the option at that time was "there's the door, see you later," then maybe you don't want to disclose that you've had a change of heart right now until you've had a chance to get your new job. So, "there's the door, see you later." That usually comes with some kind of severance or something if you just get fired mm -hmm. right or laid yeah, off. Yeah, typically. So it's all. It depends on the size of the company too, but I know for a fact that um, large companies, they will generally have, like if, if they put you on a formal PIP at the start of the PIP, there's often this decision point that sounds like what you made of like, do we want to go through this PIP or do you want to just take this severance offer and we'll, we'll kind of yeah. save ourselves the trouble. Yeah. So I don't know how you ask that without showing that you're considering hey, so leaving. just out of curiosity <laughs> strictly hypothetically yeah what would have happened <laughs> if i said yes would you have given me money to not work <laughs> 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 but maybe there's some way you can discover what the hr policies for your company are oh at, yeah uh, what the hr policies are for your company because there there could be potential virtuous outcomes for everybody yeah where if you're really interested in leaving and they feel like 
your performance isn't up to snuff, then you could you could go get another job, but have some some cushion built in there without having to kind of like trudge along, knowing that you're leaving and that they might lay you yeah. off. And and I've heard of weird stipulations on those severance packages. For example, there was a game studio here locally that shut down a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago. And we interviewed uh, maybe half a dozen of the engineers from that game studio at my last company. And they had some kind of weird stipulation where it was like, we cannot have a job offer within a certain number of days of getting laid off or else we don't get the severance. So like none of them would interview for something like, 60 days or something like that, you know? So, what? yeah, so it was like a weird thing. That's bonkers. Well, basically, the severance was designed to bridge them to their next job. And if they got a job right away, then the company was like, we're not giving you severance. Oh, it's like, you already have this job. Yeah, so. what's the point, right? And Okay, so, so it was someone's good intention of like, we'll give you help until you get a new job. And then it the incentives were immediately like, don't get a new job until <laughs> yeah. the severance runs out. <laughs> exactly. So, oh, man. So there may be something like that, and it would probably pay to do a little investigation to figure out if you're leaving money on the table before you head out the door. But having said all that, what I would probably do in this situation is I would hold on to that information until you've got a written offer and a start date from your new job, and then just resign like you normally would resign. I don't I don't see, unless you're going to go after that severance angle, I don't see any advantage to disclosing that you've changed your mind. Just go along with it until you get the new gig. And then just say, hey, you know, I've had a change of heart. I've decided to leave. Frankly, I think your manager will be like, oh, I've been wondering when you were going to come say that to me. <laughs> Why would you tell them not to disclose it? Because I don't see what good would come from you saying, I'm going to go job hunting. Like under any other condition, if you weren't already on a performance plan, what? why would you do that? Yeah. Like also, you're not 100% sure you're going to even have a job to go to, right? You're going to go start putting out applications but yeah. you know, there's no guarantee you're going to get a job, hmm. at least one that you're happy with, right? Yeah. I guess I, I guess what I'm saying is I just don't see this as a situation that's all that different from normal work. If if this performance improvement situation weren't in the picture, why would you treat it any differently? I don't think I have logic. I think I just have feelings of like, it just feels good. Like like full disclosure feels good, you mean? Yeah, but I don't think companies care very much about your feelings most of the time. So. <laughs> well, and so the question here is about burning bridges. Like, if you do that, if you don't disclose that you're actually searching for a new job, then when you finally do say, I'm quitting, will you have burned a bridge? And I would say no. No, no. If you, I mean, if you give the normal two weeks notice, like, yeah, that's, no, people quit. It wouldn't burn a bridge. I agree. And so if you flip the tables over while while it happens, then <laughs> or if you literally catch something on fire, like maybe a bridge. Yeah. And if if someone quits with like zero prior warning at all that something is a amiss, that would be I'd feel like I I I'd feel surprised for sure. I'd also feel like I kind of screwed up cuz I didn't know. But in this case like there's indication that something might be going on. So I don't think it'd be this it wouldn't be like, oh, but you were on this critical project that we're doomed on mm -hmm. now. Like your manager probably knows this is a possibility and that's that's why they brought it up to you, the possibility that you wouldn't work here anymore. So, all right, I'm convinced, Dave. Yes. I flip-flopped. You win. Okay, cool. So stay quiet. Things will be <laughs> fine. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Anything else we should say? I don't know. Like, I feel like that sums it up pretty good. All right, let's move on then. <laughs> okay. 
down to business. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> we're gonna save you time today. We're not gonna we're not gonna beat around the bush. Well, just skip through the first stuff that I said because that's the opposite of what I felt at the end. But eventually you save time. All right. Do you want to read our next question, Dave? Sure. All right. This comes from a listener named Lewis who says, we used to have regular tech talks in the office. These were opportunities for people to share something they find interesting that doesn't have to be work-related, but usually is tech or development focused. The talks were 30 to 45 minutes in length, and there used to be uh, free food at a place that doesn't normally do that kind of thing. I wasn't there at the time it last fizzled out, but it used to give, I used to give similar talks at my last company, and I'm interested in starting them up again here. People say they're interested now, but the novelty of free food eventually wears off. Do you have any suggestions as to how to sustain people's interest in attending giving, and giving talks? I might be able to convince a few people I work with more closely, but there's 60 plus or so technical people in this office that I'm still getting to know. Political attack ads. Midterm elections just ended. That's all we know. I feel like political, yeah, political attack ads seem like the way you approach problems. So, <laughs> plus all of the people who make those ads are desperate for money right now. It's a good <laughs> yeah, you time. You can get them for cheap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what do they do for the next two years? <laughs> well, I think they're starting the next round of political attack ads about now. <laughs> I must not follow the right people on Facebook. Well, if my newsfeed is any indication, they are well-employed and ready to go for the next election cycle already. Okay, so they're, they're just prepped. They've got, they've got years in the chamber. <laughs> probably. Is that they what probably you're do. <laughs> Maybe they're like Mad Libs and they just fill in like a name <laughs> and an issue. And then it's pretty cheap for you to put in like, big management doesn't want you to learn stuff at your company. But Lewis decorated incredible senior software engineer <laughs> fights for the people he'll teach you react <laughs> yeah come to lewis's meeting get free pizza learn react stick it to big management <laughs> so you you have some experience with this right yeah i've i've done it so i've run meetups for a while i don't anymore i kind of just stopped doing it without telling anyone and someone else started so <laughs> <laughs> wasn't a very clear transition. That's well, the same thing that's but... happening here in this question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Your experience is perfectly true. aligned with this. <laughs> yeah. And then I have done, uh, I don't know if I've run this. Well, I guess I just started one up at my at my current team. And then I've participated in starting them and keeping them going at past companies and teams. In my experience, just the broad desire to do it was enough. Plus having someone say like, we should do this thing especially at work. I feel like a feeling that's common at work is is you can't... I had a coworker say there's seeking versus wandering and seeking is you're looking to solve... You're, you're finding... You're, you're looking for a specific thing. So you're trying to like build a specific feature. How do I get past this one bug that I'm stuck on right now? And that's a lot of what work is like. But wandering is kind of more open exploration of like, what's uh, what are the dependent types all about? And you just ask these broad questions and kind of poke around. And a lot of technical work is more seeking than wandering. And these brown bag things, uh, I guess tech talks is what they call them mm -hmm. here. Tech talks are a way to get more wandering into your workday, which I think most people are pretty into. Yeah, oh, that's a cool. So, I, like I guess it's a credit to Gabe. He's the one who told me about it. I I haven't found it very hard to get people to want to attend. The hard part is finding people to do it. To give a talk. Yeah, and then balancing like how much time do you spend on it and how high quality is it versus um, 
how worth people's time is it? Because you probably don't want to make it like, okay, sprint planning, two-week sprint. Your job is prep for this tech talk that you're giving to the, the other sprint, yeah. 10 engineers. <laughs> yeah, like there's some constraints around how much time you can reasonably spend on it. But also if it's just like, let's read this readme together. I have given tech talks like that before and they do not feel good on either end, <laughs> the giver or the receiver. So yeah, you need to figure out how do you how do you set a standard for like how much time do you put into it and how good of a job and how high quality is the information that people communicate. You think you need a standard for that? Like Well, not like a written standard, but but like start with someone that you think will do a good job and put in a reasonable amount of effort to show like this will be worth your time. And if you do one of these, it's it's like appreciated and maybe kind of prestigious and people will listen to you. And also if you attend, it'll be helpful and valuable and you'll learn neat stuff. So, so I think you need that first one to be pretty good, but not too good. So it doesn't set an yep. unachievable bar for everyone else. Yeah. Save your best speaker for like the fourth or fifth one. Yeah. I think it's pretty normal to have lulls too. Like if, if stuff gets crazy at work, if there's some crunch time or something, you might drop it. But if you, if you can make it part of a shared value that you have, like, Hey, we want to invest in learning and sharing knowledge with each other's in this defined way is one way we do that. I think people can get behind that. I think every time I've seen one of these happen, they almost always fizzle out after a certain amount of time. Like either someone leaves or they lose interest because it is a lot of work to constantly be reminding people. And, you know, I did this at my last company for, I think, a couple of years. And I had like a, a calendar, a recurring calendar invite to remind me to go remind the speaker to make sure they were ready and to pick a topic. And I would like crowdsource topics and all that. You know, and it, it took it took time and effort. And then eventually it fizzled out and I handed it off to someone else. And that's when I realized, I think it would actually be good to make it a formal rotation where you say, you know, we're going to take turns being the facilitator of these tech talks and you only have to do it for six months, once a month, and then someone else will take it. And I think that would help with the fizzle out problem. Yeah, that makes sense. I think it probably depends on how often you do it too. The more often you do it, the more of a burden it is. So I think we do it every two weeks and that feels like a pretty good cadence. It's enough that it's not taking up too much of the team's time to to prepare but it's and it doesn't get old it's not like we run out of stuff to talk about yeah two weeks it's pretty good yeah i mean how to sustain people's interest i think the key thing about sustaining people's interest is making them valuable so i think that's the core of it if it's worth people's time they'll want to attend and they'll want to speak and if it's not then they won't and it'll fizzle out organically yeah. and <laughs> organic fizzle <laughs> Usually, yeah, we, usually like, we talk about organic growth, but it happens the other way too. <laughs> yeah, th that means the service or product you are providing is not meeting enough of a need. People are choosing to do other things with their time. So one way I've found to make sure that the topics are interesting and engaging is to have a like a website, maybe a Google Doc or a wiki page or something where people can go and vote on topics that interest them and contribute topics that they want to hear about. Or, and also volunteer to present. And that way, like when you pick a topic, you at least have some information to know that, yeah, there's at least three people who thought this was interesting as compared to the others that all just had one person, you know. Um, I've done that before and that, that actually worked pretty well, I think. And it also was cool to, to distribute out the idea generation to the whole company so that it's not just you with your limited scope of knowledge trying to come up with interesting topics. Yeah. So you you create a pool of topics and then someone can pick from that. 
and say like, that looks cool. I'll go learn about that thing. No, well, not exactly. So like the way I did it is I would seed the topic list with a few of my own topics and then I would encourage others to contribute topics. And then at any time, anyone can throw a topic on the list and at any time, anyone can vote on any topic on the list. Then when I'm picking the schedule, I am looking at the most popular voted items and then I'm trying to find someone who can give a talk on that topic. Is it like a conference talk submission where you say like, I want to speak on this thing. So then when people vote on it, you have a person ready to speak. Or is it just like, be cool if we knew more about monitoring. Yeah. And then if there's interest in monitoring, you, you anoint someone to be the monitoring talk giver. Right. Like you go out looking for someone to give that talk. I can't remember how we did it. I think maybe we had like a slot on the form where you could say, I'm interested in giving this talk or I'm just want to hear this talk, you know? I think, in other words, I think you could do both of those things in one, in the same like mechanism. Yeah. What, like what else besides free food can you do though? Free food is kind of the go-to. Pay people. <laughs> free money. <laughs> First five people in the audience get 10 bucks. Yeah. I think if you make it super entertaining, so maybe you get like an opening act to loosen <laughs> up the crowd a little bit. Like a local band or something. Yeah. Local band, comedian. Magician. Circus performers. <laughs> I'm trying to think what kind of different, so like there's the standard conference talk format and that's kind of constraining and it, you just kind of talk through slides in front of a group of people. But especially if it's a small group of people that you know well and work with, you could do a lot of different stuff. You could do like interactive practice sessions of some kind. Mm -hmm. I recently learned from from a friend about something called tabletop exercises where you, this is focused around kind of operations specifically, but you you go through like an imagined outage scenario and say like, you detect this on your dashboards, what do you do? And then kind of keep throwing new data points at people and, and you're, you're working through it together and, and doing stuff instead of just sitting there and listening. That's cool. You could do like mob programming or, or give people like a little mock assignment or something. Yeah, there's, there's a bunch of stuff you could do. That might be a meta point about how to make it interesting. Yeah. Is Make it clear it's not just like sit and watch someone's slide deck about right. <laughs> closure or whatever. And my last company, we did something like that where we paired off. There was probably 20 people in the room. We paired off into groups of two and we had to implement the game of life in some, I think it was in Python or something. And uh, we, but it was time limited. So you had like eight minutes or something with each pair and then we would rotate. So it's kind of like speed dating. And then you would either start over or pick up the program where you left off with someone new. And so the idea was to get everyone exposed to different styles of approaching the problem. Um, and it was it was pretty cool. Like, um, you know, I had some ideas and different partners I was paired with had different ideas. And I was like, oh, I wouldn't have thought of approaching it that way. And it was just, it was kind of cool. Like on the subject of wandering, like you were describing before. That sounds like the Global Day of Code Retreat. Have you heard about that? No, what's that? It's a day long practice session where you pair with a bunch of different people on specific problems. Hey, there's one in seven days. <laughs> Maybe like five or six days by the time this comes out. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. I like that. We So we just started up this tech talk thing on my team and, and it's gone three or four times or something like that. But I feel like I want to try some of these things that aren't just someone talking about a thing that they know stuff about. Yeah. I've seen one other approach, which was pretty cool, which was uh, what we called a study group. There was a group of about eight or 10 engineers that wanted to learn Go. That's Go the language, not Go the board game. And they got together in a group and there was like one group facilitator who would basically give a homework assignment each week. And the group would work on that homework assignment right there. 
And then, you know, I think some of them would take it home and work on it at home. And then they would come back the next week and circle up and talk about what they learned and things that surprised them. And it was pretty cool. I, they did that for a number of weeks. I don't remember how long, but hmm. yeah, I mean more, there's just so many different ways to do this. And maybe, maybe one way to keep it fresh and fun and not just the same old thing every week is to kind of rotate styles and just know that you have this time on the calendar every two weeks or every month. And you can use that time for either traditional lecture style presentations or you can mix it up. I feel inspired. Dave, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change stuff up in our team tech talks. Cool. Anything else we should say? Mm, I don't think so. Good luck and good on you for putting it together. I think that's cool. Yeah, I think it's valuable. I think good things will happen if you if you put effort into it. All right. What can people do if they just cannot get enough of this and want more? <laughs> More of this. I'm doing, I'm gesturing. What What is the gesture? Describe rub- it so I can make sure I tell them the right instruction. Well, now I'm like, my gesture now is rubbing my microphone. Okay. So more rubbing of the microphone. Okay. If you want that, go to softskills.audio. I guess. Is that what you're going for? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think and so. And while you're there, if you want to ask a question, you can click on the ask a question button. If you want to donate to the show, we very much appreciate it. Click on support us on Patreon. You can send as little as a buck a month if you want to support the show. Thank you, everyone who does. Thank you, everyone who listens. And we will catch you next week.